Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, wherever you are in various ways, shapes and forms, I hope everything is okay. Hope you and yours are doing well, staying safe, staying healthy. Thank you as ever for being here. On today's show, we will be talking about last night's 3-0 win over Dundalk in the uh, in the Champions League, Champions League, you, oh God, there's some wishful thinking right there. In the Europa League, know your place, Andrew, know your place. Uh, we'll be chatting about that. You Look, it's one of those games where uh, Arsenal are expected to win. They did win. And on that basis, it's not particularly interesting. But I do think there were some bits and pieces that we could delve into. So James will be along now momentarily to uh, to talk about that and the aspects of the game that he might have liked. After that, with Manchester United in mind, coming up on Sunday, a trip to Old Trafford. We'll be talking to an old friend of the podcast. Musa Okwanga will be here uh, to talk about Man United, talk about Arsenal, talk about the season in general, etc, etc. So that's coming up on the show today. Just to give you a bit of a heads up, if you'd like a bit more podcast action, if you want more in your ears, there's a brand new episode of the Tactics Podcast, which is available to our Patreon members. Right now, myself and Lewis Ambrose spoke during the week about uh, the Leicester game. We talked about chance creation. We talked about the importance of movement. We talked a bit about somebody who showed us something in the game against Dundalk last night, Joe Willock. He was part of the discussion as well. Thomas Partey in there too. So that's available right now on the Patreon. If you're a member, just log in or download it via your podcast app. If you want to join up, it is a fiver a month. That's it. It supports everything that we do here on the site, as well as giving you exclusive content, ad-free podcasts, Discord chat, live streams, and more. So patreon.com forward slash arseblog if you want to get signed up to that. Right though, let's get straight on with it and let's talk about Arsenal 3 Dundalk nil. And just to be clear it's Dundalk not Dundalk as I heard a, a few people say might have to use that as the title of the podcast so in a clever pun Dundalk Dun, uh, done as in done as in we done them it's always good when you explain things. James, good morning to you. Mm, good morning, Andrew. How are you? Mm, mm, good morning. We didn't mm, do the goodly good morning. morning. We saved that well, for yeah. the Ask Our Stakes. I see. Yeah, yeah, I see. Different brand, different greeting. I get it. That's it. You can't, can't spread yourself too thin. Let me ask you a question to start off with. Mm. Do you know it was Dundalk? <laughs> I do know it was done to okay. yeah. I I think that's an important caveat. I was going to ask you actually, yeah. you know, I mean you are Irish of course. Did you have any idea of the level of Dundalk coming into this game? 
I would be lying to you if I said I paid any attention whatsoever to the League of Ireland because I thought that might be the case. I, yeah. d- I don't, um, and maybe in some ways that's kind of shameful. But then there's a lot of stuff I don't pay any attention to, uh, which includes other football leagues, big football leagues, uh, competitions mm-hmm. we're not involved in, or anything like that. Like I had a vague idea that Dundalk, of course, have been a very successful side here over the last uh, number of years. I think they've won the title four out of the last five seasons. They were beaten to the title this year uh, by Shamrock Rovers. Shamrock Rovers yeah. who are coached by former Arsenal youth starlet Stephen Bradley, who has been on the Arsecast in the past. So, yeah, they've had a weird sort of um, thing go on with the, the manager that they used to have is now the manager of, of Ireland, the Republic of Ireland national team. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, look, they've been a good side and they've had some, some good results in Europe and nearly got into the Europa League group stages last year or the year before but uh, you know I, I wasn't truly aware of you know how good they might be or not be or or anything like that I, I just think the general level of the League of Ireland is such that this was a game that Arsenal would have been expected to win fairly routinely and I think essentially we did yeah yeah can't disagree with that <clears throat> I mean you know I thought Dundalk were sort of everything you'd expect really organized committed they didn't commit <laughs> any fouls according to the referee well, no, which see, i found yeah, remarkable they, they did commit some fouls it's just <laughs> the referee didn't give them i think there it was, was one... the luck of the irish <laughs> maybe so I, I think there was one was it joe willock who was um manhandled had the shirt pulled off him just as he was oh, going yeah. into the box so it's not that there weren't any fouls it was that the referee didn't give any i thought that was quite an interesting statistic actually um yeah. You know that we twenty nil. We beat them on fouls. Twenty nil. <laughs> Advanced metrics. Stick that up your hole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think they were uh, any great shakes. You know, no. I, I think they'll. I think they'll probably be the worst team that we'll face in this group stage. Um, but sometimes games like that can present their own problems. I mean, it was massed ranks at the back for Dundalk, and yeah. Arsenal, you know, they they tried manfully, but it, they took their time. I think it did kind of take that first goal to sort of open the floodgates. Really. Yeah, look, uh, I think we said the other day, didn't we? You know, teams that sit deep are always difficult to break down, yeah. and it was a uh, you know a weak. Uh, relatively weak side that we were playing compared to Leicester City, obviously, but also a relatively weak side that we put out ourselves compared to the Mm -hmm. one that faced Leicester City. So, you know, we have to bear those things in mind. So just, you know, you know it was Dundalk. I know it was Dundalk. Everyone knows... Everyone knows it was Dundalk, so we don't have to preface every little bit of positivity that we uh, might dish out now in the next few minutes by saying, now I know it was Dundalk, (laughs) but... So look... I, I'm sort of a bit more inclined to focus on the things that that were good and positive from last night um, because, uh, look, the last couple of weeks and, and what have you, the results haven't been great. So I know it was Dundalk in the Europa League set. So, look, I don't think we need to talk too much about the formation, do we? Not really, no. no. I mean, it's sort of more of the same, wasn't it? You know, but, but I suppose the difference being we actually had the ball for most of this game. So it was a little bit more adventurous than we're accustomed to. Yeah, exactly. So we don't need to talk about, say, Kolasinac, and we don't need to talk about the Portuguese, say, Kolasinac on the other side. <laughs> you know, we don't need to sort of delve into those things. There were sure. some things that I thought were quite interesting. I want to start, though, w- with Nicolas Pepe, because... Um, 
I I reflected on his first half, and I I was at halftime talking to Andrew Allen just sort of on uh, WhatsApp or whatever it was, and just saying, God, I really really want to like Nicolas Pepe a lot, mm. and I, I find it hard not on a personal level but as a player you know Um, Mm. there's obvious talent there but he underwhelms he does some things which are not that great I have to say and I wrote this on the blog today I'm pretty sure that a big part of my opinion of Pepe's first half which I don't think was brilliant but I don't think it was quite as bad as I first thought was because of the the corner that he took wow I mean a memorable corner as corners go that's one that will live long in the memory I suspect um, I could almost hear the like gasps. That. I could hear, <laughs> even though the fake crowd noise was on BT, I could almost hear the gasps from the Arsenal bench. They're like, oh, what? What was that? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, he, he strikes a decent dead ball usually. I don't know if he was mm. trying to shoot or something mad like that in that moment. But I don't know. He just completely got it wrong and it went into the side netting. And I think you're probably right. That probably did cause a bit of you know, cast a different light on his first half performance. That said, I think I think what I'm beginning to come to terms with, with Pepe is that he kind of maybe is a player of moments and he is a player who it is going to come off for, you know, sometimes and then other times really not. And that inefficiency mm. might be something we have to sort of accept, you know, that, that his style of play incurs a degree of risk. Yeah, um, I, yeah, and we I, have to live with that, maybe. Yeah, um, I thought some of Mikel Arteta's comments after the game were quite interesting, and I noticed you on Twitter last night talking about Pepe doing the simple things. Mm. And Arteta was asked, "What does he think Pepe is missing?" And he was really positive about him in general. You know, he, he spoke about how his attitude is really good. This is nothing to do with the pressure of the price tag. He talked about you know, needing him, and I think that's an important way of putting it, needing him to provide consistency. And and look, there's an argument, isn't there, that how can he provide consistency if he's not starting, if he's coming on for 20 minutes here and there? But he said he's a player that takes risks. He's a very creative player, and this is the most difficult thing in football. So to create situations for them is complicated, but sometimes it's the simple things, the deliveries, the amount of situations he's able to create or attract and then make the right decision to keep evolving that final ball, the finishing, the positioning in the box, which he has uh, to be more consistent at. He Mm. said, we're working on that, and hopefully he will be doing that much more efficiently. So... You know, on the one hand, Pepe starting in the Europa League against Dundalk is not where we thought we were going to be with a player uh, that we spent that much money on. Uh, You know, again, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. prefacing everything with the price tag, but that's the reality of it. When you buy a player like that with the reputation he had 18 months down the line, the fact that he's starting against Dundalk in the Europa League is an indication that things have not gone the way that we would like them to go. At the same time, you look at the goal that he scored. And it was oh. brilliant. I mean, the the rolling of the ball, the first time hit with his right foot into the top corner. Those moments and those uh, the talent he has to be able to do that is, I'm not saying that we don't have uh, anyone else in the team who can do that, but we don't have very many players who can produce those moments. So is the challenge for Arteta to try and build his confidence or build more consistency? I mean, he's been playing him a bit from the left, um, yeah. perhaps to give him a different view of the pitch. How how do you view what's going on with him? He went over there a bit last night as yeah. well, I seem to recall. I mean, he's, and he's from a very central position when he scored. That, I think, was the most encouraging 
aspect of his performance in some ways is that he did get into central areas so often. I mean, if you think about Joe Willock's goal, I think Pepe should actually probably slide him in, but he's yeah. got the ball, he takes the shot on um, in a very, very central position right in front of the goal. And I think that's obviously where we need to get him close to because he can shoot. And there aren't that many players in this team who think, well, give him a goal-scoring chance, I really, really fancy them. I think Arteta, what Arteta says is brilliant. I mean, what I said about Pepe last night is he can do the complicated stuff brilliantly, mm. but sometimes you just want to make him to make a more simple choice. And I think that when you're playing in those wide areas, it's about playing almost the numbers game. You know, how many crosses can you get in? How many shots can you get off? Because they're not all going to work. But if you can, you know, roll the dice enough times, you'll roll a few sixes. And uh, I, I think that I'm coming round to the idea that in an attack that looks a bit predictable, a bit one note. I think Pepe is maybe, you know, one of those players that we have to really try and get in the side because I just think he he had so much attacking threat. I mean, even last night, I think there were things in his game that weren't right, but a couple of moments, I mean, obviously the brilliant goal he scored, but also, do you remember that chance that sort of dropped to him on the volley and he just struck yeah, yeah. it so brilliantly? I think it was from a corner or a set piece or something and it was blocked and deflected away. Was that the one but, that uh, Eddie poked wide? It fell for Kenny yeah, and he poked I, it wide, yeah. It might well have been, but the way it came to Pepe, the cleanness of mm. that strike, you know, showed his quality. And I, I do think that does emerge in some key moments and... Yeah, I think he, he's a guy where, at the moment, we kind of have to take the rough with the smooth. But I also think he plays in a position, and Arteta kind of makes this point, that is kind of, by its nature, very frustrating. I do think a lot of these wide attackers, like even the very best in the league, you know, the Salas and co, you know, there's, they have moments of selfishness or making mistakes. I mean, you think back to someone who was incredibly productive for Arsenal, a guy like Theo Walcott, I can't think of many more frustrating players to watch. But I think that it sort of comes with the position. It comes with the territory. It's an, a role that lends itself to a degree of inconsistency. And I think I think maybe we have to sort of come to terms with that as well. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, maybe a, a more interesting comparison is Alexis Sanchez. Yeah. You know, who was frustrating, but also had three seasons of, of end product to offset that. You know, there were times... He that the balance, yeah, didn't he, in a exactly. big way. You know? He went the and, other and, way, yeah. Yeah, and that's what's possible. Um, and that's what we miss. And I think, you know, the conversations we're having about the players in, in last night's team, you know, we might be in some instances like, well, yeah, we need a player like that. Maybe not that player, but they are the players we've got. Pepe is the guy we've got. Yeah. He is in the squad. Yeah. And I think... Um, I'm I'm sort of hoping that his withdrawal relatively early last night is a positive sign for him. Um, you know, he wasn't left on like Reese Nelson chasing things into the 90th mm. minute. Uh, I hope that shows that Arteta was kind of impressed enough with what he did to to bear him in mind for Premier League selection because that goal was was fantastic. And I mean, if that's all he gives you to a certain extent, you know, that is kind of worth it. Yeah, well, like I said, you know, we, we are a team that lacks players who shoot, lacks players mm -hmm. who move, uh, lacks something from an attacking perspective. That's something everybody knows. Mikel Arteta has acknowledged that, saying this week they're working on it. They've got to, they've got to do more to, to create uh, attacking opportunities for Aubameyang and everybody else. Um, so to have a player who can produce moments, even if there are aspects of his game, which I think, you know, obviously can be improved, you've got to kind of lean into them. Um, 
you know, if you're if you're looking to make things uh, different and make changes. Another player who I think had a, a really good game, had a significant impact on um, the the best attacking moments that we had was Joe Willock. Yeah. Um, what more can a player do when he's given a chance than Willock did last night? He hasn't really played a lot this season. He was somebody who came on a lot as a substitute. Mm-hmm. Uh, last season had more appearances than anybody else. Um, many of them were just short cameos. Um but I, as I said today on the blog, maybe it's not um, Joe Willock himself that we need, but uh, someone who can do what Joe Willock does. And look, like you say, he's the player that we've got. And I don't want to sort of say the only way we can do this is via the transfer market. I think there's something about Joe Willock. I've said this to you before and on the podcast before. I think there is a player there if he can be unlocked and if um, you know he can produce again consistently. He's only mm-hmm. 21 as well. But what I loved about Joe Willock's game last night was A, the willingness to take responsibility on the mm-hmm, ball. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of times where I suspect, you know, he might get a little bit of a talking to afterwards because what he tried to do was first time and um, uh, improvise with the ball. I still can't say improvisational. Improvisational, exactly. Okay. I'm struggling with that word. It's the a, last lot of concert, of a lot of it is, there. But, you know, little first... Uh, first touches and and maybe trying to play a ball through a, a defender's legs or around the corner or whatever. But the movement, the you know, getting into the box, bringing defenders with him, creating space for other people. You know, he had a really, really good game, Joe Willock. I thought he was really very impressive. I think it was his best game for Arsenal, actually. And I think he's a player who has shown some really exciting moments and uh, and in this game really delivered across the course of the 90 minutes. To your question of what more can a player do in a game like that, I don't think there is much more. I mean, he was at the heart of everything Arsenal did. You know, a word I used about him and a word Mikel Arteta echoed, I think, was brave. He's brave on and off the ball. He makes really bold, courageous choices. Um, You know, he he drives with the ball or when he hasn't got the ball, he runs beyond the centre forward. He, He takes it into the box. You know, he goes beyond the last man. And that is something that is in short supply in this squad. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I thought he was really, really, really terrific. And I think he showed uh, a different dimension that we can add to our midfield. And actually, this isn't a particularly new conversation, really. I mean, even going back to sort of... I remember under Unai Emery, us talking about, you know, a midfield three potentially with Joe Willock in it. Just because Mm. he does have that sort of vertical aspect to his game that that our other players don't necessarily. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I think he brings goal threat. I thought, by the way, the way he took his goal Oof. was brilliant. I mean, the touch to bring the ball under control and then finish it like that, you know, that's... Yeah. You know, I know you wrote he was reminiscent in terms of his movement and stuff of Aaron Ramsey. That was reminiscent of an Aaron Ramsey finish. Really well taken goal. Yeah. I mean, look, the Ramsey stuff, there were two moments. One in the box where he got away from a load of defenders. It reminded me of that goal Ramsey scored against Norwich. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. It just didn't, drag back. Yeah. It didn't yeah. quite open up for him. And then there was one where he had the ball down by the byline and he sort of shimmied one way and the defender went, I know where you're going. He shimmied one and the other way and, and drove back into the box. But you're right. I think the goal was, um, 
you know, he, among all the midfielders that we have at this moment in time, and we haven't seen enough of Thomas Partey at Arsenal to know if this is something he could do, but, he, you know, from what we've seen uh, of him at Atletico, this isn't mm-hmm. really his game. But arriving in the box, support runs for players who get forward, being there to snap up... Um, uh, rebounds and the ball breaking. I think if you look at the goals that he has scored for Arsenal, a lot of them are just sort of being there in the box and it breaks down and there he is mm-hmm. to, to put the ball home. And this is not to say uh, that he's going to be like this player, but there's a, an element of a player who could do that for us on a very regular basis was Robert Perez. And I'm not saying yeah. Joe Willock is going to be Robert Perez, so please, you know, but the ability to be there, you can, I'm not sure that's something you necessarily can teach players. I think it's kind of a natural thing. Some players are really good at it. Some players just aren't good at it. Willock is good at it. He is uh, a goal threat. He gets forward from midfield. Um, his presence um, causes the opposition problems, even if he's not the one uh, directly on the end of things. So I think, mm. you know, there was a lot to like about that performance for me. And, and for a guy who was involved a lot last season and not at all really so far this season to come in and just sort of say, okay, I'm going to do this. This is what I can do. This is what I can bring to the team. I, I, you know, I think that was a really positive display from him. Definitely. And we've had conversations about people's roles in the team. And I think Joe Willock suffers a little bit from being a slight utility guy under Mikel Arteta. We've seen him play. I think he played on the right in the Carabao Cup game against Liverpool. We've seen him come on as a false nine in games. I think what he showed in this match is, you know, really where he's best, which is kind of central areas pushing on into the final third, you know, as a kind of, I don't know what to call it, a number 10, but an attacking midfield player, really. And uh, yeah, I thought it was super encouraging from him. And he's put himself... I think he's put himself in Mikel Arteta's thoughts. He's put himself in contention because, as we say, there's no other player in the squad, really, mm. who can replicate that. Yeah, yeah. And if you're a manager looking for something different for, uh, for your team, mm-hmm. um, you know, outside the the boundaries of the transfer market, um, and nobody knows if, and if we can do anything in January anyway, um, that's the kind of performance that you would want from a player. Let me ask you about Reese Nelson. What did you make of him? I really like Rhys Nelson and I thought he was good. I actually felt a bit sorry for him that unlike, you know, the the rest of the academy boys, he didn't get his goal or whatever to, to crown his performance. But I thought he showed a lot of desire and it's not something I naturally or, or I instantly associate with him as a player. I always think about he's got great technical quality, you know, amazing skill. Mm. But I thought in his performance, you could see this was a guy who had potentially been interested in going out on loan. It hadn't happened. Who wasn't getting a look in. Who really wanted to try and make things happen against Dundalk. And I thought, you know, he, he had some great dribbles. Uh, he, he worked really, really hard. I actually think, you know, of like Willock and Kettier, that generation. I think in terms of pure technical quality, I think Nelson's probably the most gifted. Um, it, it just doesn't... He just hasn't necessarily clicked yet in senior football. But yeah. I thought he was good. What did you think? I liked him. I liked, again, yeah. I liked the, the willingness to to drive, the willingness to, to try and make things happen. I think part of it um, is because he was out to impress. You know, before the game, Arteta Definitely. said, Reese Nelson has got to take his chances. You know, and, and people will say, well, what chances? This was one of his chances. 
I think perhaps at times he was a little too keen to make something happen for himself. I don't mean to <laughs> say that. I don't mean to say he was being greedy or or what have you. There was one moment in the second half, and it wasn't long after uh, Balagoon came on, where if he'd played a first time pass, he could have sent him through. But he went on a quite an effective dribble. He carried the ball forward twenty, thirty, forty yards, wrote a couple of tackles, and played it out to to Willian. That's right. You know. Yeah. Um, so little things like that where perhaps the decision-making isn't as influenced about what you want to do yourself in your performance because you are, um, as a player, perhaps under a bit of pressure to produce something, to show the manager that you can do what he wants or or you can produce things that put him in your – or put you in his thoughts for, for uh, more important fixtures. But the change of pace was really um, – excellent at times in the final third Mm -hmm. the ability Mm -hmm. to get away from defenders over three four yards i thought was quite obvious quite Mm. um impressive you know the Mm. delivery maybe wasn't uh, always as good but you know like you say if you keep if you keep rolling the dice you're going to come up with a couple of sixes you know there were aspects of his game that were really encouraging and i think if we're talking about pepe perhaps being a bit underwhelming and certainly willian since he arrived at the club has been pretty underwhelming um i think what nelson has done is shown that at least from the bench he could be an option to come on and do something different in the final third and add a little injection of of youthful exuberance and and there's no um no shortage of of talent and ability there either no i think that's absolutely right i mean you know the performances of these players it doesn't necessarily dictate that they've got to start every single game from now on but Arsenal are encountering different problems and you know if you think about the Leicester City game we had a very specific problem in mm. trying to break down their mass defence and, and looking for different solutions and these players potentially provide some solutions they mm. provide options for Arteta and it's felt a little bit in the early period of this season that guys like Nelson and Willock haven't really been considered serious options in Premier League matches and I honestly think that what they did last night goes a long way towards changing that um and it's just, you know, it's it's good for them. It means that I think, you know, in the rest of this competition, I think they're going to get more opportunities. I think they're going to be pushing harder in, in the Premier League. Uh, and I think it's really going to do mm. wonders for their confidence. So I actually thought, all in all, it was a, a pretty successful night for Arsenal. Yeah, look, it's not a game that's going to go down in history or, or anything like it, no. but we did what we needed to do. We did it with, you know, a, a fringe team, basically. There were a couple mm-hmm. of senior players involved, obviously, because we had these issues at centre-half, so we could not risk playing Gabriel. There was no need, you know, when you're 3-0 up, there was no need to bring on someone like Aubameyang or or, or anybody like that. We did mm-hmm. see um, a striker come on and a, a quite an interesting move this um, following Balagoon uh, coming on for his Arsenal debut, a player that uh, at youth level has done uh, really, really well. There's a yeah. lot of expectation, a lot of um, a lot of potential there, but he hasn't yet made the breakthrough. How significant do you think that is? And and Mikel Arteta's comments afterwards, where he says, you know, he's a, a player I really like. Um, uh, the situation he said something along the lines of it's it's uh, happened later than I would like but it's one that he had to to inherit if you like you know his contractual situation because it, it ends or his contract runs out at the end of the season but he mm-hmm. said um, I showed him that we count on him and we we uh, believe in him and he's got a future here if he wants it 
I think that's encouraging. I mean, you know, the, the writing has looked on the wall in that he's not wanted to sign a new contract. There's been interest from other clubs. Um, I think Sheffield United were looking at it very closely before they ultimately did, uh, what's his face, from Liverpool, Brewster. Mm. But, uh, I mean, as soon as he came on, I mean, his record at youth level is outstanding. But as soon as he came on, he, he looks physically, you mm. know, like he, he could play adult football, I think. You know, he's he's tall and he seems quite powerful. Um, he, he's quite two-footed. There's a lot to like about him. Yeah. I think Arteta um, has inherited this situation later than he would like. But, I mean, clearly this was about showing him that he, you know, is valued and that there is a potential path to the first team for him. Yeah. I mean, whether or not it's enough to convince him to stay, who I think that might depend on how many more chances he gets. Yeah. Quite frank. Yeah. I mean, the, there's talk of Brentford being interested yeah. in him as well. And, you know, it strikes me that he is the kind of player that with a couple of years development at Brentford, uh, development at Brentford, we'd be really interested in signing. So it's about mm. trying to, trying to manage that development. I, you know, I think there is something quite interesting to uh, to take into account if you are Arsenal, if you're really committed to this guy and you think he's got the potential. I think it's pretty easy to lay out uh, a path to first-team football for him, even mm-hmm. if it might involve a loan move. Like you've got Aubameyang, who is 31. You've got Lacazette, yeah. who's going towards the final year of his contract it doesn't seem like he's going to be given a new one. And, you know, we've discussed the the sort of uh, slowing down of his effectiveness, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Nketiah scored again. I think we should acknowledge that. Another long-range screamer from Eddie. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but he... he he is still uh, raw, still young, still learning. So there's nothing really set in stone about Eddie yet. You know, he's been given chances. He has scored goals. Fair play to him. But, you know, he's still very young in the life of a striker. So I think what you could say to someone like Balagoon is, that, look, we'll give you some chances this season. Sign a new deal. Maybe you go on loan next season. And when you return, you know, chances are you could really come in and, and stake a claim for a place. Yeah, and, and maybe it does involve... A loan, or more than one loan, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, mm. I think of, I think of Chelsea and Tammy Abraham. I mean, they, he went out for three consecutive seasons. It was Bristol City, Swansea City, and Aston Villa, and then he returned to them as a Premier League striker. And they've obviously played the loan market really, really well. Mm. And I think if if you have a chat with Balogun and his management, and you say, look, this is the plan for your development. This is how you're going to get your first team football, and this is you know when we're thinking of bringing you back over a kind of three to five year span. I think you you can actually build someone a really nice career path. And I mean, even I mean, even the Brewster example. I think even then, Liverpool have inserted a clause that if they want, they can buy him back two years down the line. I think it would be a terrible shame to produce uh, an academy talent of this quality mm. and just let them go for a few million quid. Do you know what I mean? It just feels like such a waste and such a something that we might live to regret that yeah. I really hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah, look, it's, it's much... I'm not going to say it's much more difficult, but it is a difficult thing to manage a young player's career, you know, especially when they get to an age where they really feel like they need to play. We forget sure. that maybe just a couple of months ago, we were worrying a little bit about what was going to happen with Bukayo Saka, right? Because, mm. 
you know, he had less than 12 months left on his deal or, or was coming close to it anyway, we had to get him signed up. And there's all this interest from clubs in Germany and young clubs in Germany. And and what strikes me is that um, I, I realise that the Premier League is a different kind of animal in that uh, it's more difficult to give young players chances. But when you see clubs across Europe find these young talents and give them games at a young age where they attract the interest of big clubs, etc., etc. You know, clubs like Arsenal that want to come and buy them. Um, You know, there's perhaps a case to be made that, you know, we maybe need to be uh, a little bit braver in terms of some of the decisions that we make with these young players. Yeah, very possibly. Mm. And I think there's also an interesting conversation, you know, Arsenal have got a number of young strikers in Nketiah, Martinelli, Balogun. And what's sometimes hard is to commit to all of those people equally, you know. So I do think there is a kind of uh, a balance to be struck there. But uh, yeah, look, Balogun looks like a really tremendous prospect. And, and Arteta has form for turning situations round. I mean, you know, when he inherited Ainsley Maitland-Niles, he had kind of one foot out the door. And there have been other cases not too dissimilar. So... If any, I think if any coach can persuade a player that his future lies with Arsenal, it's probably the one we've got in the dugout. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, there you go. We've uh, we've taken the positives from our three 0 win over Dundalk. We might as well just talk very quickly about what's going to happen this weekend. Arsenal going to Old Trafford. Is it two thousand and six? The last time we won there in the league. Is it really? Is it? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I know we've yeah the Adibayor pokey goal in a, with yeah. about five minutes to go I know we've won there in the cup um, sure but this record against the big six away from home um, how do you view the the way we're going to approach this game because it is perhaps one of those after United had a big win in midweek against uh, um, disgustingly sweet energy drink Leipzig um, and they, you know, had a good win against Newcastle. They beat PSG. So they're coming into this relatively confident. Um, you know, is this the game to throw off the defensive shackles and really go for it? Or, or is it the the kind of game where we need to play in the way that we did against Liverpool, against City, against Chelsea, where we put the onus on Manchester United to break us down and then look to unleash those um, counter-attacks involving Aubameyang, etc., etc. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, clearly United's strength is going forward, I think. I mean, defensively, you know, there are no great shakes. So on that logic, you could argue maybe we should be going for it. I, I can't... I don't see Mikel Arteta taking that option. I do think he'll play this in the sort of mould of how he approached games towards the latter end of last season. So I think it will be that sort of system. I wouldn't be too surprised if he tweaked it to have Aubameyang through the middle, just based on his comments the other day. He Mm. did seem to hint or allude to that as a possibility. But I do think, you know, I think there is a bit of a lack of pace at the very heart of that United defence. I think he might look to exploit that on their counter-attack, hopefully with people like Pepe and Aubameyang. What, what do you think? Well, I hope for something similar. I would like to see Aubameyang up front. I think the pace issue is is obvious. Um, I'd like to see Pepe on the right and I'd like to see Saka on the left. I think the fact that Saka didn't play 
yesterday is a sign that he's obviously going to play at, at Old Trafford. Yeah. Um, I would like to see him in that front three, but I do wonder what we might do in, in midfield. It's a tough I think one. He'll go with, I think he'll go with defensive shape that has Tierney as the, the left centre. central defender. So does that, I think so. Does that... Does that mean Saka then as the sort of nominal left wing back? Well, acknowledging I, the fact that he doesn't always have to play in that in that role, you know, it's not what I would do. I must say, actually, because I, I tell you, watching um, Maitland Niles last night, I was reminded of a couple of things. One was how uh, I'm not convinced of him as an attacking threat. Basically, I feel like his delivery and his choices in the final third mm. aren't that great. But the other thing I was reminded of is what a great one-on-one defender he is. I mean, there were a couple of occasions where people had a five or ten-yard head start on him and he just absolutely zoomed back and and nipped the ball off them. And I would play him as a left wing-back in this game. Yeah. Um, And that would free Saka up to play in a more in a more advanced position, really. Um, That's how I would approach it and then, you know, pick, you know, a couple of central midfield players and have Saka, Aubameyang and Pepe as as your front three. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see Pepe running at Luke Shaw, you know, that's where I'm going with this. I I think, I think if, you know, if Willian had come in and been brilliant um, against Dundalk when he came on and really taken the game uh, by the scruff of the neck, yeah, he didn't. He was, he was... He had a fag on, basically. I mean, he was like, he was very chilled out. I mean, whether he was just taking it easy, I don't know. But yeah. it wasn't a performance that made you go, wow, this guy's got to start. And look, I know he was coming on at 3-0 and the game was won. And he it's one of those deep... professional. Yeah. yeah. Am I going to expend a load of energy running uh, running around trying to do things against... Uh, or in a game that we've already won? Um, mm. But, you know, I, I, I would like to see Pepe get a run at Luke Shaw. Um I have a sneaky feeling he's going to play. He's going to play Willian though, um, just to give us maybe something off the bench and to to have that kind of security uh, on that maybe. on that right hand side. Uh, who is your midfield two? If we're picking a midfield two, who do you think it's going to be? Well, that's actually quite a tough one. I think. Well, one is <laughs> one is obvious. Yes, one is the fifty million pound man, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I know. Uh, I, I, I think the tide of opinion is very much against Shaka at the moment, but I, I think it might swing back a bit over time. I think he had a bad game the other night, but I think he is still mm. a very useful player for this team. Um, but I would be tempted by I would be tempted by Sabios and Partey as a duo. I have to say, mm. I, it's not, I, I find it hard to see Arteta making that choice. To be honest, I think Arteta really trusts Shaka. But, um, yeah, Sabayos and Partey would give you a nice combination of qualities, theoretically. Although Sabayos was terrible, wasn't he, the, the against uh, Leicester? I mean, yeah. I almost felt like he brought Sabayos on last night just to get that out of his system. Um, Maybe. Who would you go for? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm sort of sort of leaning towards Sabayos in the sense that I just think he can could maybe bridge that gap. You know, mm. if we're playing with Tierney as that left centre back, you know, we don't need Shaka to drop back in as the third central defender and, and use that space yeah, because yeah. that's not the way that we're gonna play. So can Shaka give you enough um 
Yeah, I just think maybe if you're playing Ceballos as that left-sided central midfielder, it's the area that he likes best and maybe just to connect with with Saka. And uh, if Aubameyang is playing up front, it might be an interesting one. I don't know. Look, I, I don't know. There are too uh, yeah, many curveballs. That's the, that's the thing I, with Mikel Arteta. I think I might... I mean, I, I would predict it will be Shaka, and the reason is that partly David Luiz isn't playing, and mm. I just think he regards those two players as sort of pretty key in his build-up. Maybe too key, but I think that is how he sees it. So mm. I think he will pick Shaka. But it's going to be a really interesting one in terms of team selection because there are choices to be made, for sure. Mm. And I think a player like Pepe, even if he doesn't start the game, I hope it's because you know, there's a plan to deploy him in the second half, you know, for half an hour where he can actually make an impact. I think, you know, we have to think about the whole 90 minutes here, but people like, people who impressed on Thursday, I think should be included in that conversation. Mm. I don't expect, you know, Joe Willett to start suddenly at Old Trafford. No. Because I appreciate it's a very different type of game. But if we're in a situation where, we need a goal or we are chasing something I'd like to think they'll be under consideration mm. alright well look that is something we're going to talk about on Monday morning mm-hmm. when we uh, do the Arsecast Extra hopefully having put an end to this uh, run of away games against the so-called uh, Big Five or Big Six um, mm-hmm. do you call it the Big Six when you're actually one of the so-called Big Six the other members <laughs> of the Big Six I don't yeah, know yeah I mean I think I think you do call it the Big Six but how long the big six lasts as a definition, I don't know. Yeah. Well, particularly as it's going against Trade Descriptions Act already, if you include Tottenham in that as the big <laughs> six. You know? Yeah, who was the clip? Did you see the clip of a pundit being like, why are Tottenham in the big six? Was it Merson or...? I don't think it was, actually. I think that was what's so great about it. I don't think it was someone with an Arsenal affiliation. Right. Uh, I'll have to try and dig it out. But basically, they were just saying, why are Spurs in the Big Six? They've never won anything. Yeah. What have they ever done to be considered part of the Big Six? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think we can all get on board with sentiments like that. All right, let's keep fingers crossed. We have a goodly morning on Monday. Have a good weekend, James. Catch you then. Bye-bye. Thank you very much indeed to James. You know where to find him. He's on Twitter at Gunnerblog, at Gunnerblog. And of course, James will be here with me on Monday morning with an Arsecast Extra after our trip to Old Trafford on Sunday. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Speaking of which, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show an old friend of the podcast, a Manchester United fan, and somebody to give us a bit of perspective from that side of things ahead of this game. He's the co-host of the Stadio podcast. It is Musa Okwanga. Hi, Musa. Hey, how's it going, my man? How's it, it going? It's going okay. And look, since the last time we spoke, yourself and Ryan have had a, a big move over to the Ringer podcast network. Um, so, indeed. yeah. 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 Congratulations on that. It's all going well. Yeah, thanks. It's been really exciting, actually. Really enjoying it. And, of course, a, a new venture with uh, somebody who's well-known around these parts as well, Mr. Ian Wright. Uh, Wrighty's the House has man, launched. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Wrighty's House on Ringer FC. I mean, obviously, you've had him on, and um, mm. he's a great friend of the Arscast, obviously. So, yeah, it's great to have him as part of the, <laughs> can I call it the Arsenal takeover of the Ringer with Ryan. Oh, yeah, okay. Ryan is a big, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we know that's what it is. We know that's what it is. But yeah, it's, it's really nice to have Ian there, and he's a great guy. So I hope you'll enjoy that podcast as well. Yeah, full of good stories. Um, yeah. So look, that's uh, it's good work for you guys, and congratulations. I'm I'm chuffed for you. But we're going to talk a bit about this game coming up on Sunday. First, though, I just want to sort of ask you your thoughts on this season so far, and I'm going to sort of put a little theory forward, and I, I wonder what you think of it. Yeah, I sure. reckon this season is going to be mental. I, I think it's gonna yeah. I don't I think stuff that we thought was gonna be true isn't true already. Stuff that we don't have any idea about is yet to happen. You know, the the idea that this was gonna be perhaps another uh, another two horse race between Liverpool and City, I don't think that's gonna be the case. Obviously what's happened to Liverpool and Van Dyke and, and the impact that's gonna have on their team, Man City. I mean amazingly Arsenal are going into this game uh, at the time of recording ahead of United and City in the table, despite the fact we've had some troubles. Now you've played an extra game or we've played an extra game, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it just yeah. feels like in the circumstances with everything that's been going on, the lack of preseason and the weird preparations, all of those things are feeding into what I think is going to be a season that is going to be absolutely unpredictable. Yes, and it will get exponentially weirder. You're completely right. And with each piece of unpredictability, um, it will sort of tum- it will kind of sort of run away with itself. So, for example, you look at Club Bruges and Lazio last night, they drew one all. Mm. And I was thinking in the Champions League, and I was like, oh, that's a bad result for Lazio. But then I forgot that just a few hours earlier... Lazio board the plane without most of the best players. Mm. And the Shakhtar beat Real without like over over 10 players, like a dozen players out. Mm. So everything is haywire. Everything is absolutely haywire to the point where it's difficult to actually draw decent conclusions from this season in the long term. But one conclusion we could draw potentially is that even the top two in the Premier League may look different at the end of this season. Mm. Even the top two. And actually, we might have a new winner. It's possible to brace ourselves for you know, a new winner. And this actually, coming back to the, sort of the, the subject of this game, this is why actually Arsenal should have broken the bank for our... Yeah. They should have broken... Because this season is the one that you go for it, I think. It's the season that anyone, anyone of eight clubs could go for it. Yeah. I, well, look, it's a point that, you know, we've made on the podcast before that, you know, when you're a club that is owned by a billionaire... Uh, there is a, a look as cynical as it sounds um, in the circumstances with everything that was going on with everything that's happening in football football finance the impact on other clubs uh, and everything else that if you were like truly a you know a winning bastard if you want to call it like that you would go for it in a 
big, big way in the transfer market. Um, and, you know, look, Arsenal bought Gabriel, they bought Thomas Partey on, on deadline day. And some of what went on was restricted, of course, by the inability to, to move players on. So you are, I think you do have to acknowledge that in the market. But it does feel like um, there was an opportunity there for, for that kind of owner. But obviously, Arsenal don't have that kind of owner. No, they don't. And this is the thing. This is the time you make the gamble. You look at um, over at Milan, you've got Pioli there at AC, AC Milan and he's done a great job and they look like they could actually be the league winners this year. And if I was looking at Milan as an Arsenal fan, I'd feel very envious because they made a bet on a manager that not everyone was behind at the very beginning and they backed him in the market. And the thing about Arsenal is, and we'll get into Arsenal as well, we can segue into that. Mm. If you look at Arsenal's team, there's been a lot of comparisons with Rafa Benitez. Now, that's not necessarily negative, but if we look at Rafa Benitez at Valencia, which I think Arteta, you could maybe model on to an extent, where everyone performs a specific role and where the the attacking is so precisely choreographed, right? Mm. Now, someone could say, some might say, oh, well, that should be Ozil, but I think there's different factors behind the Ozil fallout, which we don't fully know because they've never spoken about it. Mm. But if you get a guy like Awa in a precisely built team... I think he liberates everyone. He has the brilliance to liberate everyone. He's that good, right? And because he's not in that team, it's almost like Arsenal are driving, they're driving a car in third gear. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, is, is there parallels or are there parallels with Bruno Fernandes and what, what kind of an impact he's had at United? We have different issues there at United. Yeah, sure. But... Cha- yeah, um, our challenge, I think we have a similar challenge to you in that we both struggle, United and Arsenal, to break down deep-lying teams. Um, we struggle. Arsenal basically like to sort of spring the trap, but if you sit deep against Arsenal, they still need that player that can mm. break down teams on the front foot. Yeah. United have the same thing. We're a broken field team where if a team basically opens up against us, like Newcastle or Leipzig, we destroy them. And smart teams know that. And so smart teams are now like, okay, beat us when we sit back. And I think the similarity that we have, I think we have a different problem because we've been quite good until now at having quite loose, chaotic attacks. And the first time I saw us really do something really, really smart was last night, actually, against Leipzig mm. in the Champions League with that diamond, which basically puts Pogba where he wants to be and plays to our strengths. We have Fred pressing, we have Van der Beek pushing, uh, pushing the um, initiative up front and then one Bissaka just locking down. Funnily enough, it's actually quite a Mourinho approach, weirdly enough. Um, <laughs> both <laughs> your listeners might not like me for saying this, but actually... There's a lot of comparisons to draw between Solskjaer and Arteta with Mourinho's first era at Stamford Bridge, if that makes sense. Mm. That's not a negative thing, but it's how I see things maybe playing out. Well, I mean, it it sort of sets the tone a little bit then for Sunday, doesn't it, in terms of what kind of approach Arsenal are going to have? Because we're in this... As Arsenal fans, we're in this sort of moment um, where I think there's, there's a maybe a touch of over-analysis going on in a sense that, yeah. that um, you know, we have to acknowledge that Arteta's only been in the job 10 months and, and the circumstances and everything else have been have been remarkable um, in every sense of the word in terms of what he's had to deal with when he took the job and what's happened subsequently in uh, football, in society, in the world and everything else. So, you know, it, it's everything feels a little bit premature when it comes to uh, some of the criticism that I've seen during the rounds, particularly as we're only what five, six games into the new season. But we are certainly in a in a in a phase where having dealt with some of the issues that Arsenal have had, which is that 
uh, it was extremely easy to score goals against Arsenal. It was extremely easy to counter-attack against mm. Arsenal. Uh, you know, all we had to do was think about going forward and there was 50 yards of space behind us and the opposition were in there and taking shots and peppering our goals. So those things had to be dealt with. But there is a need for Mikel Arteta to perhaps just... Um, increase our attacking potency. It's something he spoke about before the the game that we're playing this week uh, against Dundalk. Um, So we're recording on Thursday afternoon just to put that into perspective. This is not going out until Friday. You know, he's talked about that, the need to be a bit more attacking, the need to play perhaps a bit more on the front foot and to control games from an attacking perspective. But Manchester United away is not the game where you go and say, well, let's fucking go for this one and, you know, see what no, happens. You know, particularly, no, in, uh, you know, on what you've just said, that if you if you struggle perhaps to break down teams which, which sit and uh, some of Arsenal's best performances under Arteta, FA Cup final, ga- game against Liverpool, game against uh, Manchester City in the semi-final, have been with this rigid structure, play it out from the back, lure the opposition in, coax them, spring the trap, set Aubameyang free, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, there's the goal and everyone's delighted. Yes, absolutely. And look, here's the problem. Those players, those eights or those tens that can unlock those elite um, attacks, uh, defences, sorry, they're so rare in world football. They're so rare, like given how highly coached and choreographed football is now. So you don't go to, unfortunately, you don't go to Old Trafford and and experiment because that team mm. is just coming off a huge morale boosting and an eyebrow raising 5-1 over Leipzig. Leipzig are, you know, they're doing really well this year in the Bundesliga. They're not slouches. Um, so I just feel like, I don't know, and the, you said the early criticism and the premature, the premature nature of it. I think that to some extent, Arteta has been a victim of his own success or his own progress, mm. if that makes sense. Because a lot of people, when Arteta took the job, if you said to them, they'll have beaten... Elite teams, what, three, four times that have won an FA Cup? Mm. A lot of people would have taken that. Yeah, for sure. They would have taken that. Yeah, they would have. They said, oh, Aubameyang's re-signed a lot of teams. A lot of fans would have been like, oh my God, yeah, perfect. Yeah. So it's it's easy to kind of, um, to get that lost. And I'm not saying that Arsenal fans should lower their expectations too much because you're still Arsenal as a club. I'm just saying that as the season goes on, they're going to be factors that are beyond... Arteta's control mm. and it's easy to look at Arteta and be like oh he's not taking enough risks but let's let's also remember that other teams have been absolutely hammered by teams that have not hammered Arsenal hammered mm. like you know look at the humiliations inflicted on United and Liverpool you can brush those off as like oh that's a 6-1 just a 7-2 it's a freak result but those results ripple out like people went to Liverpool now look how Liverpool, look at Sheffield United have no respect for Liverpool Mm. No respect at all because of the 7-2. Like United, people are going at us because of the 6-1. Like it's, the people, no one's going, people respect Arsenal right now. And I think that people can look at Arsenal and be like, oh, we're not being adventurous enough. But also look, you're cultivating an aura. And aura takes a long time to build. And as United know, only too well. And as Arsenal know, mm-hmm. aura can be lost in half a season. It can be lost in a few months. It can be lost so in a game. I'm, yeah, so I would almost encourage... I mean, I, it's, it's frustrating for Arsenal fans, but listeners who've heard me on this podcast before, I'm sympathetic to you, and I just think, give it time. Really give it time, because people have been drawing comparisons with Benitez's reign, but they mm. forget how good Benitez was at Valencia. He was absolutely amazing. And when Benitez played against um, 
Here's Valencia playing against Liverpool. It's 2-0 in the first half with Pablo Aymar running things. That was like science fiction. It was like a team from the future. And at certain times, watching Arteta counter-attack against elite teams, watch Klopp's face. Watch Klopp's face when Arsenal beat Liverpool and him at the end, he's like, we're in trouble here. Mm. We don't know if they can sustain this every game of the season, but if Arteta gets the players he needs, this guy's a legit rival. Yeah, look, I mean, he made a point after the Leicester game, and I'm sort of on the fence about it a little bit in that he said something along the lines of, look, when a team like Leicester come, uh, and, you know, this is kind of what puts me on the fence, a team like Leicester, I'm sort of struggling to get my head around, you know, Leicester being the the brilliant sort of team he's making them out to be. But, of course, they did beat Manchester City 5-2. And he sort of said, when a team like Leicester, who are, you know, established and did well and should have finished in the Champions League last season, when they come to the Emirates and when they come with the game plan that they did, it means that they have, you know, paraphrasing a certain amount of respect or a certain amount of fear about what Arsenal could do to them. Um, You know, the flip side of that is, maybe it's an away game, traditionally the kind of game that they might play like this anyway against the big six or whatever you, whatever you want to call them. Um, I, I just wonder how much you, you buy into that because, you know, it does tally a little bit with what you've said about the way Klopp um, approached, particularly in the Community Shield, I think. Um, you know, the, the... How will I put this? The... The idea that Arsenal were or have been a soft touch has been uh, around for a little while, and we have this dreadful record in terms of games that we're playing against uh, away from home against the the bigger teams in the Premier League. Um, that's mm. one that we really have to put right. But it, it, it sometimes the way a team reacts to you can tell you what they think of you, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but Leicester actually, Leicester's a great example because they're just a very good team. They're just a very, very good team. And look, Leicester, I was actually thinking about this the other day, like if Leicester played against Real Madrid in the Champions League, I'd back them to beat them. I would back Leicester to beat quite a few teams in this year's Champions League Mm. just because of their quality. Like the tactical brilliance to make Jamie Vardy man Mark Rodri, that's to make your team's quickest player mark one of their slowest players and then just cut off his supply and get a hat-trick. It's absolutely brilliant. Leicester are the masters of sniffing out mistakes and flaws. Mm. And a 1-0 loss to, you know, everyone's, people are still caught in this headspace of, oh my God, it's Leicester. No, Leicester are just really, really good. That's why when Villa beat Leicester 1-0, it was a huge result because it was like, Villa are legit. Villa, mm. Villa, are, Villa are a good bet for a top six finish if they just maintain their quality. So... I know why you're on the fence because Arsenal are a big club, but you have to understand, I think, a lot of listeners, that in this context, amid this chaos, who's going to profit from chaos? A team like Leicester. Mm. Because they were built for it. They were built for an environment. They were built for a league where teams are a bit knackered. They turn up maybe slightly off their place. Jamie Vardy is the master parasite. There is a reason why he's been feeding off City more than any other club. I think he's scored more goals against City than any other club. Because no, I think it's Arsenal, actually. <laughs> he's it's scored more against more. Arsenal, yeah. Because he sniffs out weaknesses. Yeah. He sniffs out weaknesses in top teams trying to play football. I just think that sometimes, and I've said this before to Ryan, I've said that people sometimes, you know, on the Stadio podcast, I've said that people sometimes make the mistake. They draw the wrong conclusions from results. And the worst possible thing would be like, oh my God, panic. Listen, you lost 1-0 to Leicester. In the context of this season, that's really not a big deal. Mm. It's, it's not a big deal. And I, I hate to sound harsh, but look, Liverpool almost got done by Sheffield United, almost lost the point to them, or mm. almost, almost dropped point to them. So, so 
I just think sometimes in football and particular season, it's easy to get caught up in the immediacy of the result without stepping back and look at what Arteta is actually building. Yeah, I mean, that was something I wrote about on the on the site this week is that I feel like some of the things that have been are, are gone from our lives um, and we all know, you know, to, to a certain extent how those um, things can manifest themselves, just sort of the other stuff, right? The other stuff which uh, provides an escape for us, whether it's a social life or, or uh, you know, work things. Everybody's, everybody's lives have been uh, turned a little bit upside down of late. And I wonder if, in some ways, that is having an impact on how we're viewing football because we're sort of, we're not looking at football anymore as, as football uh, yeah, in its purest yeah. form because the fans aren't there anymore and we're having to rationalize that and we're becoming maybe a little bit more detached from it and also at the same time maybe super focused on the, on the now without necessarily uh, taking enough time to, to step back and be objective about what's happening because, you know, I, I can I can understand frustration um, with some of the aspects of Arsenal's play right now. I absolutely can. And there are there are elements to our game that I think really need to be improved. And we're in a, a, a phase now where I think we, we start to uh, need to see some of those things happen. But at the same time, we are only 10 months into this guy's first job as a manager you know, all the circumstances that went on, the club being where it was when he took over, the director of football getting turfed out the door. Oh, well, no, leaving uh, amicably, I should say, because that's the story they put out there. But, you know, all of these things that are going on, I mean, 10 months for any manager to um, make an imprint on a team is barely any time at all. And Arteta is doing it on the back of winning a trophy last season. I, You know... Is it is yeah, it just what, human yeah. nature? Is this just sort of what human nature is now that everything is so short term? It is. I mean, part. I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, Arsenal fans have their criticism, and that's fine. Mm. I do think you make a really good point about the wider context of all this, which is it's, it's abnormal times. We're focusing to an abnormal degree on on football. I mean, look at the viewing figures for some of these Netflix. Netflix films and, and series like they're through the roof because people are just at home a bit more mm. and if they're at home a bit more they get hyper analytical and hypercritical and you know this is actually the worst possible time with teams and squads not at their best to get hypercritical and I reiterate this if Arsenal had bought our a player they were meant to get and trailed for a long time this season would look completely different it would look completely different and Arsenal are basically playing underpowered and it's it's harsh to say that but and some might say well they should have worked harder, but Arteta has not got the pieces that he wants. Mm. It's very obvious. Like Partey, Partey and Hasim Awa in the same midfield, that is a serious problem for any team in Europe. No team in Europe wants that problem. That's an elite midfield. Mm. And he's only got half of it. He's mm. only got half of it. And, you know, the Ozil thing, the one thing I would caution Arsenal fans against, it's easy to make Ozil into a martyr, right? It's easy to be like, Ozil could be here, he could fit right in this gap, why can't they reconcile it? I don't think those two sides, whoever's at fault in that or whatever, or if fault is even the right word, I'm not convinced that relationship broke down lightly. I'm not convinced that it fell down for the for the reasons given, you know, in a lot of the pieces, because it's still speculation because mm. Arsenal haven't spoken about it, Ursula hasn't spoken about it. But it's going to be very easy over the next few months. It's going to be a real test not to go why don't we just give Ursula a game because he's the person that can knit together that attack. Well, Maybe the Ozil that we're thinking about is the 2010 Ozil or 2015 Ozil, and maybe he doesn't exist in that system anymore. Maybe he can't do it like that anymore. We don't know. 
Yeah. I'm not sure he can. So I just think it's going to be really difficult for Arsenal fans not to engage in a bit of wishful thinking as the, season's, as, as the season goes on. Well, sure. it's, it's sort of like an injured player, in a way. When, yes, the, when yes, the injured yes, player yes. is out, um, his qualities become exactly what a team needs uh, when they yes. go through a period when they're struggling. It is, of course, all results dependent. So if you, if you win a load of games in a row, nobody cares about the injured player or nobody really can make a, a solid case for Mesut Ozil. But of course, when the team lacks creativity and you leave him out of the squad entirely, you can understand why people make, uh, you know, uh, come to those conclusions. That's not necessarily a debate I want to open up again, though, because we've kind of done it to death and, and uh, yeah, yeah, there is no, there is no hope of reconciliation. I want to ask yeah. you a little bit about, you know, United. And sure, sure. You talked about the defeat to Tottenham, an extraordinary game, obviously, and in, in one way it could be seen as, as very damaging uh, to lose like that at home, even with 10 men. You know, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a tough defeat to take. Um, and I think one of the images that will <laughs> live long in my memory, my football memory, is um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's face when Luke Shaw hacked down whoever it was. Um, and was it Lamella? Was it was Lamella? It, well, I mean, look. No, it, no, it was Moore or Moore, I'm not sure. Moore, Moore or Lamella. Lamella. Well, look, if it was Lamella, no better man to get hacked hacked down if you ask me oh he deserves God. he deserves that and much more but that's not the thing uh, just Solskjaer's face anyway that wasn't it but but the response I suppose from a United point of view has been really positive I know there was that sort of soporific nil-nil draw with with Chelsea last weekend but a 4-1 defeat or 4-1 defeat of Newcastle beat PSG 2-1 in Paris and of course uh, the the 5-0 win over RB Leipzig um, you know one of the most uh, attractive teams in Europe and certainly a result which stands out because of the how emphatic it was you know the it, it strikes me they're a team that will go into this game on Sunday reasonably confident after what was uh, you know a defeat which had people asking all kinds of questions about the club the manager the players and all sorts and rightly so like if you get beaten 6 yeah. at home that has to be the case um, and it exposed some pretty severe and serious fault lines. Um, I think the thing about United is you don't get the five nil against Leipzig without the nil nil at home. It's, it's re- that's why it's really important to view results in the wider context, not just in isolation. So, what, for example, you look at. Sorry, please no, carry on. No, I was just going to ask you what. What do you mean by by that? Why don't you get the five nil without the nil nil against Chelsea? Because the conservatism that United played with, they had to basically like avoid a loss at home for team confidence. Mm. You lose two straight games to like direct competitors in the Premier League. That creates a confidence spiral. Whereas Solskjaer would have gone out and said, basically, let's keep things tight. Let's prove that we can keep things tight. Because there's no other way I can really explain that result. Like, you know, if we win, mm. then fine. But safety first is the key. Let's prove we can, let's go back to basics. And now they've got two clean sheets in a row after a 6-1 defeat. Mm. Um, and... The, the knowledge that they can be solid at the back, the knowledge they can hold back Chelsea, who have like one of the best attack lines in Europe, frankly, the knowledge they could go and get a clean sheet, it then allows them to play against Leipzig and be like, look, we've got a secure base, we can attack and we can basically pick them off at will. And that's what they did. Mm. So I think, that, I think the 5-0 is informed by the 0-0, to be honest. Well, that, yeah, I, I'd have to go back and look at it, but I do feel like... Um Arsenal did something similar after some of the big defeats that we had, whether it was the 8-2 or whether it was the the 6-0 at Chelsea. When you do take a hammering, you have to you have to consolidate, don't you? You have to just yes, make sure yes. that you you answer some of the uh, defensive questions. Um, 
from an Arsenal perspective, um, or from a Manchester United perspective, I mean, when you're looking at this Arsenal team and you're looking at whatever system Mikel Arteta might put in place for uh, for Sunday, who are the players that, that would worry you? Um, you know, I know Aubameyang hasn't really been scoring in the Premier League. Lacazette looks a bit off the pace. Nicolas Pepe hasn't been convincing so far this season. It really hasn't clicked yet from a, an attacking perspective uh, for Arsenal uh, beyond the first day against Fulham. And I think Fulham are kind of, I won't say in a league of their own, but they're a different thing. You know, they're a mm, team yeah, that, that a lot of other teams will have success again. So when you look at this, you know, what way do you see United's approach and how do you view the danger that might come from uh, the way Arsenal might respond to it? Well, United played very well against Newcastle on the break, very solid. And they had Mata, Fernandez, Pogba on the bench. Pogba was really, really good against um, against uh, Leipzig and mm. Van der Beek was too. So I just wonder if they're going to get continued games. But Solskjaer has shown that he's not afraid to to sort of stick with a team where something's working. So I think he might, you know, he might stick with this. Like, see if he's had a big win. I can see him sticking with a similar formation, mm. uh, a diamond against um, Arsenal, just because he loves, he likes the back players in form and back formations in form. The challenges I think that I would see are down our right flank. So Maitland-Niles against someone like Shaw is more of a challenge because one Bissaka is such a good defender, he doesn't give you much change. Mm. Um but I think that there's a there's a bit of joy to be had, no matter about being not scoring at the moment. There's a lot of joy to be had by attacking the spaces behind our centre backs. You know, they're not particularly quick and they don't turn that well. So I think that the speed of Aubameyang against, you know, a sort of slightly slower Maguire, well, much slower Maguire. <laughs> much let's be slower. let's be honest. Sorry, sorry, I'm trying to be <laughs> sorry, Andrew. Trying to be trying to be like diplomatic here. Oh, there's super but, diplomatic know, there, Musa. <laughs> Maguire, unfortunately, Maguire and Lindelof against the Bamming and Lacazette is one of the biggest mismatches you'll see in terms of speed. Which to me suggests there will be a conservative approach from United. I can see United actually trying to just sit deep again and try and pick United, uh, to pick Arsenal off again with with the counter. Mm. Um, so again, look, I wouldn't expect a high-scoring game, which is strange to say like from United-Arsenal. I wouldn't expect a high-scoring game actually at the weekend. No. I don't think so either. I think it could be a goal that nicks it either way. Um, I think so, or, you yeah, know, I can see that. We've had a number of 1-1s there uh, in the past. So look, we'll, we'll see and we'll wait and see what happens there. I just want to go, uh, before we go, and, and just mention uh, a Manchester United player who has been in the uh, headlines. Uh, I'm going to um, eschew the chance to make a joke about uh, Marcus Rashford. If he really wanted to feed the starving, he could help Arsenal win um, at the weekend. Oh. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. But I mean, what a what an amazing thing he has been doing over the last number of weeks. And I think what's perhaps the most, well, not the most amazing thing, but perhaps the most admirable thing about it is the way that he has, uh, in the face of... Um, criticism from quarters and and people in power just um what's the word i'm looking for he's he's how do you say it he's um held a moral high ground if you like if there is moral high ground to be had over feeding hungry i I think he's done i mean i think he's done i think he's done something maybe even more powerful i mean i know you mean like he's held up a mirror to people in positions of like mm. political responsibility. And he's basically said like, this is what I've done of my initiative. At the end of the day, there's a lot of people in the UK 
far wealthier than Marcus Rashford. Far wealthier. Yeah. Um, but he's used his platform, his influence to an incredible degree. And I think he's showing people what's possible. I think that the funny thing with what Rashford's done, he's changed maybe a generation, actually. I think, I think that a generation of people growing up watching Rashford will now be enabled to do more themselves, but also will be enabled to ask more of society celebrities and icons like yeah you've got this platform this adoration but what are you doing with it mm. so i think he's done something really clever in terms of getting people to demand more of of those they revere which is super powerful i think i think that's really an amazing example he set. that's a really interesting perspective on it because i hadn't well, really thought about it like that because i was you know um i mean some of those people that are in those positions that people look at as heroes or role models or whatever it might be perhaps aren't you know yeah because behind it's like, the scenes. you think about it, yeah yeah it's like you know well what do you do oh I, I score goals yeah you just score goals but marcus rashford does this and he cares mm. and you know you're not saying everyone should launch a a, a long-running political campaign but like well hang on a minute like isn't there more that you can do with the world that it is at this point is there a little bit more than we can all do? Like, you know, mm. even stuff like, you know, response, even just like wearing a mask or like encouraging people to, yeah. to be more compassionate with each other. Like these, they sound like tiny things, but they add up. And to Ozil's credit as well, Ozil, you know, he made some pretty bold political statements on behalf of oppressed people. Like he's made his own, you know, he's made his own mistakes. We know as well politically, but he's also done some very bold things. And I think to that extent, that's to be applauded. And Rashford has come out and, you know, he stood up for vulnerable people in our society. What a beautiful, powerful message at this point that everyone can get behind. Um, and it's so it's been really lovely to see people like Klopp come out in support of Rashford um, and see that, you know, across the footballing divides, we're seeing solidarity. I think that's a really powerful thing that he's that he's kind of enabled there. Mm. It's, a, it's a rare thing as well across the, the tribalistic world of football too you know um oh yeah for somebody to to rise above and to be to be seen as um admirable regardless of their club colors they're always the people who will tear that down but i think the majority of people can see what an, ama uh, an amazing thing he has done and continues to do and uh, best of luck to him and hopefully it will inspire um more people to do more whether they're footballers or role models or just ordinary people um like you or i listening to podcasts like this you just never know but look musa as ever it's been a, a pleasure talking to you good luck with the podcast and um we'll oh, catch up with thank you soon you so much you're a legend thank you so much an absolute star always great to chat to musa you can find him on twitter at okwanga at okwanga and of course he's the co-host of the stadio podcast along with ryan who of course is an arsenal fan keeps him in check you know you've got to you need that balance in the world. Uh, Stadio is the name of the podcast there, at Stadio on Twitter. You get all the details of how you can subscribe to the podcast right there. So, what else is there left to say other than to hope that we can do something about this record uh, in the big games away from home at Old Trafford? Feels like a win would be just the tonic for the team and for Arsenal fans right now. Feels like we need one. The Leicester game was really disappointing, of course. Um, so it would be great if we could um, put that right on Sunday at Old Trafford. It's hard to be confident 
It really is, given our record and everything else. But if there is one glint of hope, I suppose it is the fact that in the big games under Mikel Arteta, we have shown ourselves to be a bit more resilient, a bit more capable, and we've had some good results against some of the bigger teams. So if we could replicate that on Sunday... And I'll be quite honest with you, as much as I want this team to attack better, as much as I feel like we need to to start focusing a bit on, on the attacking strengths within our side, I don't really care how we do it on Sunday once we do it. Uh, we could play defensively, nick a goal on the break, hang on for dear life. Once we got the three points, I think I'd be pretty pleased by the whole thing, Um, which isn't to say that there aren't things we can still address, but it's just, is Old Trafford uh, a ground at which you haven't won in the league for over a decade? Is that the is that the place? Is it the time and place to to throw caution to the wind and throw off the shackles? I'm not quite sure that it is. So if our approach helps us uh, to three points on Sunday, um, performance isn't necessarily the main thing uh, about this game. Uh, if we can couple a good performance with a good result, all the better. But I'll take the result first and foremost. I'll keep fingers crossed for that. As I keep saying, James and I will be here on Monday. As ever, thank you for being here. Thanks for listening, subscribing. If you want to give us a review on iTunes, that would be great. We'd really appreciate that. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. We'll keep all the fingers crossed for Sunday and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. It's Friday morning and uh, I want to get the podcast out and I haven't got an end bit. And it just occurred to me that when fans are allowed back into the stadium, hopefully sooner rather than later, and based on the progression that we've seen from this player against, I know it was Dundalk, and I'm making the assumption that by the time fans are allowed back in, he is going to be a key part of our midfield. Can we have a Joe Willock chant to the tune of Two Unlimited's No Limits? I mean, it scans perfectly. Also, I think I should just point out that while the internet has done amazing things for all of us, it has in some ways put to bed the urban myth that used to do the rounds. And the last one I can remember is that Two Unlimited got killed in a bus crash, a fiery bus crash. I think. Some kind of bus crash. I checked it out, and according to Wikipedia, they're still alive. So, there you go. Just wait for their uh, comeback album, I suppose. Right. Have yourselves a good weekend. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 